Can somebody read for us from verse 15 to 17? 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 15 to 17. Anybody read for us? Boy, girl, man, woman. To 17. Competent. Com- complete competence. So we have the uh, King James in our head. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 22. Anybody can read if you're there. And can the mic be passed so that we can we can hear them better? <coughs> Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty to twenty-one. You just need to raise up your hand, the mic will be given to you. During this festival, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Uh-huh. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of God. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Tonight we are in paragraph eight of chapter one. Chapter 1 is of the Holy Scriptures. And so far we have covered the necessity of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, and the clarity of Scripture. And tonight we are covering the availability of Scripture. But before we begin, we look before we read the text of the Confession and look at the Scriptures, I just want to re-emphasize why we need confessions? Why do we bother ourselves with confessions of faith? Why have we left our houses to come here to study a confession of faith? And I'm, I'm asking this question and I'm attempting to answer it because there is the idea around that a confession is not necessary. That a confession is not needful. In fact, some have said that the confession is not useful. And I'm not talking about Pentecostals, whom we will say those guys are not very serious about confessions. I'm talking about quote-unquote evangelical people and um, reformed, you may say. And one of the reasons they say is this, that the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is held by the Presbyterians, the 1689 Confession of Faith, which is held by Reformed Baptists, which we subscribe to as a church, is outdated. That it doesn't seem to address the current issues on ground. And I have three reasons why such a view is not, is not helpful to us as Christians. Number one is that the Confession of Faith is a systematic summary of the great doctrines of Orthodox Christianity. It's a systematic summary of doctrine. Now, I don't need to remind us that the Christian faith is an ancient faith. It's not something that started three years ago or 300 years ago. It is something that has been around for 2,000 years. When we talk about from the book of Acts to now, about 2,000 years. And over time, some people have been able to look at the whole of Scripture and systematically draw out teachings from the Bible on specific issues, on specific doctrines. Now, some people will tell you that there are two ways to arrive at a doctrine. Number one, they tell you that there's something called biblical theology. And what you try to do in biblical theology is to start from Genesis chapter 1. Let's say you're trying to trace the history of it. You're trying to explain what redemption means, the word redemption. So you start from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and you go through to Revelation and you try to find the redemption, the doctrine, the concept, the idea of redemption throughout the Bible. 
Now, that's one way to look at it. Some other people have called something a systematic theology, which is where you take the word redemption and then you try to bring out a systematic summary or systematic statements of the meaning of the word redemption. Now, I don't want to pit both against each other. You know why? Because good biblical theology will eventually end up giving you good systematic theology. Because if you've gone through Genesis to Revelation and you're studying redemption, at the end of the day, if you're told to write on redemption, you provide a systematic summary based on what you have done. And good systematic theology, on the other hand, must be biblical. So the 1689 is both biblical and systematic. So if you have the, if you have a physical copy of the confession, that's my own interpretation of it, you will see that it spreads whenever it's treating an issue, not just New Testament texts, you trace it sometimes from both the old down to the new. So it's a systematic summary. Secondly, it's biblical. It's based on the Bible. So the confession of faith is not something that somebody just woke up one day and framed based on how he or she was feeling. It was based, it is based, every confession of faith that is orthodox is based upon the teaching of the Bible. And so we can trust our confessions if they are faithful to the Bible. And thirdly, confessions help us in times of, uh, it helps us to defend the truth. Because they've systematically done this for us, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. For example, a few weeks ago, I mean, even till now, it seems to be trending as a matter of fact, the popular man of God said that Apostle Paul was wrong. There are places where Apostle Paul was wrong. And so that the words of Apostle Paul are not inspired. That what that the Bible contains the word of God. So the word of God is that which from this Bible gives us both spirit and life. Now when such a person says such a thing, you don't have to reinvent the wheel by going from Genesis to Revelation again. It has been done for us in a confession. So we can go to the confession and find a systematic summary of what the Bible says about God's word. So we should not be shy of saying we are confessional people. We are basically saying we believe in a system, the systematic summary of biblical truths. We're saying that we are basing our faith on the Bible. And we are saying, of course, that we trust what the Bible says by holding to the confession. As an aside, however, the confession is not infallible. Infallible means cannot fail. So there are times when in the confession, we may be able to scratch our heads and say, mm, this might not be too faithful to the Bible. But as a whole, the confession is true to the Bible. Case in point, but we'll get there. When we talk about the Antichrist, but we'll get there eventually. But we can trust the confession and we can be comfortable saying we are coming to study the confession. The availability of scripture. Now, I posted something on the WhatsApp group chat, which is the text of the, um, we couldn't print because of time. The reason being that it's one sentence that is, or two, two or three sentences that are very, very long. But just go flow with me as we read, as I read it and we listen. It says, the Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God of old, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of the writing of it was most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentic. So as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal to them, full stop. But because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God who have a right unto and interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them, therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar language of every nation unto which they come, that the word of God, dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner and through patience and comfort of the scriptures may have hope. By raise of hand, how many of us understood what we just read? By raise of hand, how many of us understood what we just read? Okay. So, 
Basically, the, the way to understand when we read complex statements like this is to understand the use of commas. Okay? Sometimes a comma can act as a bracket. How many of you know that? A comma is like a parenthesis. In fact, some people call comma parenthesis, which means it's giving additional information to something that has been said. For example, look at it again. The Old Testament in Hebrew, forget the, the parenthesis now, and the New Testament in Greek, being immediately inspired by God, are authentic. So as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal to them. But because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God, they are to be translated into the vulgar language of every nation unto which they come, that the word of God, dwelling plentifully in all, may worship Him, they may, they may worship God in an acceptable manner, and through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, may have hope. So I just keep setting commas. So it's not a very complex statement. But as we come to this particular paragraph, I have six or seven things that the confession teaches us. Six or seven. Now I'm going to state these things in terms of either questions, propositions, statements, or however I want to. But the point is for us to understand what the confession is saying on the availability of scripture. Are we together? Are we together? Number one, what languages were the Bible written in? That's the first thing this paragraph wants us to learn. What languages were the Bible written in? And the confession answers that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 2. Romans chapter 3, verse 2. It says, from verse 1, Then what advantage had has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Acts chapter 7, verse 38. Acts chapter 7, if possible, get, you, get yourself a physical Bible. Acts chapter 7, verse 38. It says, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. So this is Stephen talking about Moses. So the Old Testament was the oracles of God as delivered to the people of God through the prophets. And because, listen to this, and because the people to which the Old Testament was directed to were Jews, it was given and written in the Hebrew tongue. So the reason why the Old Testament is written in Hebrew is because the oracles of God were given to the Jewish nation. The oracles of God were given to the Hebrews. However, there are certain parts of the Old Testament that are not in Hebrew. There are certain parts that are in Aramaic. Sometimes it's just a word. Sometimes it's just a verse. For example, in three places, we can confirm that we have Aramaic words. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 47, Proverbs 31 verse 2, we have an Aramaic word, just a word. In Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 11, the whole sentence is in Aramaic. In Daniel chapter 2 verse 4, down to Daniel chapter 7 verse 28, we have five stories about Daniel and about his friends, and one vision of Daniel were written in Aramaic. In Ezra chapter 4 verse 8 to 6 verse 18, Ezra chapter 7, 12 to 26, quotations on the restoration of Jerusalem, of the temple of Jerusalem, were written in Aramaic. So these are just a few places here and there scattered. But the whole of the Old Testament was written in Aramaic. In Hebrew, rather. So the oracles of God were given to the Jewish people and written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek, however. Now, note what the confession tells us in the second parenthesis. It says, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of his writing was most generally known to the nations. Now this is important for us to know because when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and we read the words of Jesus, Jesus did not speak Greek. Jesus most probably spoke Aramaic during his ministry. So 
our Lord died maybe between 30 AD to 33 AD. And the earliest New Testament book was 1 Thessalonians, which Paul wrote around 50 AD. Are we together? So this is when Jesus died, 33 AD. But it took another 20 or almost 20 years for the Apostle Paul to write the first epistle. So the epistle of, to, to the Thessalonians was earlier than Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They were all written in the 50s. And most of Mark was written in the 50s. And there and then till Second Peter, which was the last book, and the epistles to be written before Revelation. So between the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and the writing of First Thessalonians, something was going on in the church. The people of God were beginning to understand that this faith was not to be restricted to the Jewish people. So that this faith was also to get to the Gentiles. Are we together? So a lot of things have happened. So what Luke, for example, when Luke is writing in the book of Acts, hmm, Luke wrote Acts after Paul had even finished all of those things, or most of them anyways. So it was not as if as Paul was being saved, Luke was looking at him and saying, okay, the Apostle Paul was saved, chapter 9, like that. So these are things that happened. Luke was giving a record. But at the time they were writing, they began to understand that the faith that they had, that they had received, was going to be an, in a sense, international faith. And at the time of writing, Greek was the common language. Ask me how common Greek was. Even the slaves and those people who cannot even read could hear Greek. So if you go to a church, let's say you come to the church at Colossae, and Paul wrote the epistle to the Colossians, and it's being read. Everybody would understand it. Greek was a common language. And so the, the apostles were led by the Holy Spirit to write the New Testament in Greek because it was the most common language. It was the universal language at the time. Could everybody read Greek? Of course not. Because illiteracy is a normal thing. In every age, there's always you have people who cannot read. But the basic thing was everybody, at least... Almost everybody could understand Greek. So the New Testament was written in Greek. We have to understand it because the languages are not divine in and of themselves. Hebrew and Greek are not divine languages. Now, there are some Muslims who say that Arabic is divine. Now, there's a debate among Muslim scholars whether Arabic is a divine language or just a coincidental language by which the Prophet Muhammad received the Quran. So, there are debates about that. But we, we don't have to debate it. Hebrew and Greek are not divine language. Languages, rather. As a matter of fact, the Greek of the New Testament is not really being spoken today. So, that's a question the confession wants us to know. That they were written in common languages and there were specific reasons why they were written in those languages. Hebrew, because the oracles of God came to the Old Testament saints, the nation of Israel, and they spoke Hebrew, and they wrote in Hebrew, and Greek because it was a common language of the world at the time. Number two, second point this evening. Inspiration of scripture has to do with the original languages and not translations. So when we say the Bible is inspired, we are not talking about ESV, and I'm going to explain. The Bible is inspired, look at the confession. It says, and the New Testament in Greek were immediately inspired by God. The word immediately there can be better understood as directly. So the inspiration of scriptures relates to the Bible in the original languages, not this Bible in our hands. Now, as when, when you study, for example, if you study the attributes of God, you go through the scripture to study the attributes of God. One of the things you find is that the attributes of God somehow inter intertwine with each other. So if God is not infinite, he cannot be eternal. If God is not simple, God cannot be immutable. Those kind of things. So this, this thing also affects inerrancy. So some people come to this Bible. Some of you, if you listen to Muslim friends or people who try to, one of the reasons why we are studying this is to help us understand how this Bible available to us can be trusted. So, the, your Muslim friends will tell you that, okay, that in Paul's account in the book of Acts and in the book of Galatians, there's one, and they tell you that's error. 
or that some accounts in First Samuel and First Chronicle, sorry, First Samuel and uh, sorry, First Kings and the Chronicle, the, the books of First and Second Chronicles do not rhyme. Maybe some measurements and all, and they come and say, okay, that's error. When we say the Bible is without error, we are referring to the Bible in the original languages. Because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, that's the apostles now, to write in those languages. So what they wrote is infallible, what they wrote is inerrant, and what they wrote was inspired. So, how can we now say that the ESV is not, uh, is not inspired? So, let me give you a practical example. And kids, listen to me. When you go to school, Franklin and Adora are classmates. I am the teacher. If in primary school does this, I don't know about now. We will use tablets now. There's a blackboard, and the teacher writes social studies. You're a social studies class, and you're learning about tradition and culture. And then you, the teacher writes everything for you, primary school. Then you copy. So your friend, Grace, right? Grace did not come to school that day. And so Grace borrows Franklin's notes. Okay? When Grace borrows Franklin's notes, Grace also borrows Adora's notes. And there's a place where the teacher said, the bird is, the bird, flying bird, is in the cage. But Adora did not see in. And Adora wrote, the bird is on the cage. Are we together? So, now, Adora's copy already has a slight deviation from Franklin's copy. Is that true? Now, but if you want to know what the teacher actually wrote, if you get Light's copy, Shekinah's copy, Omi's copy, John's copy, and you see that among all of them is only Franklin that wrote, or Adora that wrote on, you can estimate that what the teacher actually wrote was in. Now, the Bible was written, every letter of Paul was copied. Multiple copies were made of every New Testament book, and these copies were spread about. Now, when the translators of the Bible sat down to translate, what they did was to get the copies that they believed were most original and most, how do I say this now? Most, the one that was most close or the closest to what the apostle was writing. Now, we have 5,000 or over 5,000 or so manuscripts. If you have 5,000 notes of the bird is in the cage, you can, with a great level of accuracy, know the copies that have a slight deviation or error, and those that don't. Another illustration. Well, in the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, I remember when I was preaching from that text, the Bible says, John says, that your love may be full. And some translation says that our love may be full. In the Greek, it's just one letter that distinguishes our and your. One letter. Aside that, they're the same. So those are some of the things that people call error. They're just copies, variants in copies. But when you have a lot of the manuscript, you can actually, accurately say this is what Paul was writing. So when you read your Bible sometimes and they tell you that some manuscripts, sometimes you see later manuscripts say or or your, that's what's happening. Okay? Do you understand? Do, do, are you sure you understand, frankly? So, with we cannot trust this Bible to be accurate. But the problem is you have to use a good translation. We'll come back to that. So, secondly, inspiration has to do with the original manuscripts, not the translations we have here. Number three, what God, and, what God inspired and commanded to be written, he kept pure and preserved. What God commanded and inspired to be written, God kept pure and preserved. Look at the confession. It says, they were immediately inspired by God and were kept pure through subsequent ages by God's singular care and providence. Now, what this means is, everything that God inspired in the Bible, God by himself preserved it. Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 to 18. So this was Jesus speaking. Matthew chapter 5. 17 to 18. And it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota 
not 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 a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What Jesus is saying is that the law of God can never be destroyed until it's accomplished. And do you know why? Jesus said even the dots, the dots, the yota, yota is the Greek, is a Greek, um, is a Greek letter. And the dots or the yod, the equivalent in, 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 in Hebrew letter is yod. So dots, yota. That even that one, that one cannot be missing. Are we together? It cannot be lost. It cannot disappear. It's not possible until it is accomplished. If a heaven and earth may pass away, but the word that God has given will remain. It must be accomplished. Everything must be accomplished. That's why we can trust the Bible we have in our hands. God by himself has preserved it. In fact, some of the Jewish rabbis, they used to say this, that when God changed the name of Sarai to Sarah, the yota that was, <laughs> the, the dot that was lost, God took it to Joshua. So that even that, that thing that was lost from the name of Sarai, when God changed that name, you could find it in, we're not doing Hebrew class, you could find it in the Hebrew name Yeshua or Hosea. You can find it there. So, what Jesus is saying is that nothing from God's word, even to the last full stop, can be lost, can be destroyed, can even go missing. God is the one preserving his word. You know what that means? The documents are therefore authentic. Now, the word authentic, I'm going to be putting some additional help in some words because authentic is like oji. I don't know how to. But a a, a word that will make it common for us is trustworthy. Now, if you have something, now, let me use a medical medical illustration. When there wants to be a heart transplant in a hospital, and the hospital has to borrow another heart from another hospital, what do they do? They preserve the heart in a cooling system, right? So that that heart cannot be damaged. Now, if the medical personnel transferring that heart from maybe Div Hospital to Garki General Hospital does his job well, by the time that heart gets to Garki General, is what is trustworthy. Because that guy has preserved it through the journey, through Apple Bridge, through everywhere till he goes to Garki General Hospital. That's the same way we can say the scriptures was preserved. Who preserved it? Not man. There was no body that God gave the scriptures to and said, you are the one to preserve it. He himself preserved the scriptures. Now, we are not saying it. It's what the Bible tells us. Again, that's why I say the confessions are biblical. Jesus himself said, nothing can be destroyed, can be lost, nothing until it's accomplished. So everything God has commanded and inspired to be written down over ages is what as it's supposed to be. No defect. Nothing. Okay? Number four. The confession tells us that they are therefore authentic so that in all controversies of religion, the church must appeal to them as final. So because of their trustworthiness in all matters of controversy, what is a controversy? All of us believe, for example here, that the office of the elder, this church believes that the office of the elder is to be restricted to men. Okay? Then one day somebody comes up, one of the leaders in church, or even one of the members, and says, no. That we don't believe that the office of the elder should be restricted to men. That according to my own study, the office of the elder can also be given to women. That's a controversy. When a point becomes disputed, when a point that is usually, that ordinarily should be accepted by everybody becomes a point of dispute, is a point of quarreling. So we have the Lord's table. I'm giving examples so that we get what, what, what the confession is saying. We have the Lord's table. And then we believe that a minister, a pastor, is a minister of word and sacrament. Which means I cannot administer the Lord's table. Neither can I conduct a baptism in this church because I am not an ordained minister. And then somebody says, 
Oh, no, 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 no. It's not possible. Now, how can you say Pastor Abutu must be around before we take Holy Communion? And then one day I now come and I say, Pastor Abutu traveled, maybe last, last Sunday. And I say, Sister, you can bring out the wine, bring out the elements. Let's share. Let's share. God is in our midst. And then it becomes a point of dispute in the church. The confession is saying, because God has preserved his word, and God's word is authentic and trustworthy, we can refer to it in matters of controversy. Turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 8. <clears throat> I wish I could read the entirety of this chapter. But Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. It says, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers, the King James, I think the King James says, inquire of spirits and wizards who chirp and mutter. Ah, some of us are still turning. Let me give us a few seconds. Are we all there? Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. Are you there? Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. So he says, and when they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no done. Now, how do you think controversy is sometimes settled in church? A prophecy, a vision, a revelation. So I was in, in this fellowship one time. And we're getting open prophecies. So open prophecies mean that as we are here now, Brema can just fall under the anointing and say, Thus says the Lord. And then whatever he says is binding upon all of us. So he can change the message, he can change everything. Now, when such a matter begins to arrive in church, what would happen? The person who is in church should go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and talk about all. I say, this is not how things should be done in church. Let me apply this to our time. Because we have a lot of issues and people are saying, you don't have deeper revelation. That what Apostle this or Apostle that or Prophet that is saying is a direct revelation from God. So you have no right to question it. Isaiah himself said, when they tell you, let us go and see visions. Let us go and see people who give us a word from God. He says, to the teaching and the testimony. Even the prophet himself was saying, go back to the word of God. So this word of God is able to settle all disputes in the church. Again, go to Acts chapter 15, a New Testament example, Acts chapter 15, verse 15. So let me give us a background. The apostle Paul and Barnabas were church planters sent from Antioch, and they had finished the first missionary journey, and they had returned to Antioch. Verse 1 tells us that some Jewish believers came and said that until you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. So first of all, Peter stood up. Because you remember, Peter was the first person who saw a Gentile come to faith under his ministry. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. Even before Paul, Peter saw Gentiles coming to faith, the household of Cornelius and Cornelius. Then in Acts chapter 15, verse 15, Paul, Peter had spoken, Paul and Barnabas had spoken, and then James was speaking. James says, Verse 14 of Acts chapter 15. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with these, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Whenever there's dispute in church, what do we say? It is written. That the Bible, the old and new, are fixed and are clear on this point. So the Bible is what we use to settle controversies. But there is a but. The next Verse, the next sentence in the confession says, but, <clears throat> because these original languages are not known to all people. So there's a problem. The original languages is what is inspired. Are we together? The original languages have been preserved by God, and we can use it to settle matters, controversies, everything. However, not all of us can read the Bible in Hebrew and Greek. I can read Hebrew, raise up your hand. I can read Greek, raise up your hand. In fact, many of us cannot even read our own tribal language Bible. So not everybody can read Greek or Hebrew. Now, I want, I want us to stay on this for, for a while. 
Some people say that the reason why they can trust the Quran is because it has been preserved in one language. But that's not true. Even the Quran is not, has not been preserved. If you look at the Quran very well, I've studied very well, certain parts of the Quran were lost after Muhammad died. There was a lot of parts also, and some people burned certain parts of the, of the book and all that. So, what is the confession telling us? Not, not everybody knows Hebrew and Greek. And by nature, we ought to be concerned in what is in the Bible. Look at the confession. It says, because the original languages are not known to all the people of God, who had a right to and an interest in the scriptures, and who are commanded to read and search them in the fear of God. So all of us, normally, if we are a body of believers, should have a right to the Bible, an interest in the Bible, and we are commanded. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 29. No, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18. And he's talking about the king. Because God knew that at some point, the people of Israel will ask for a king. 17, verse 18. He said, And when that king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. So though this was directed directly to the king of Israel, it is also applied to us. We should, the only way we can obey God is if we have God's word. If God's word is not in front of us, how can we know what we need to do? Because God knew that this king, because there's a tendency, when you have a king, and there's a lot of pagan nations around you, the tendency is for your king to do what other kings are doing. As a matter of fact, if you look at it in normal government, if you have one president, and the neighboring people are all dictators, there's a tendency that that guy will also become a dictator. So what, what checks him? The constitution of the land ensures that that guy, that president is doing what he ought to do. The constitution of the land ensures that he's doing what he ought to do. The constitution of Britain ensures that Boris Johnson does not have the same power that Joseph, Joe Biden has in the U.S. Even if he likes what Biden is doing, he can't replicate it because the same presidential powers do not apply to him. And the same applies to God's people. God has given us his law, and the only way we can obey him is if we have the Bible. So, this is a problem. We have been commanded to read the Bible. We have been commanded to study the Bible. We have an interest and a right in the Bible. Next, he says, <clears throat> The scriptures are therefore to be translated into the ordinary language. Number six, translations become necessary. So, are we seeing the flow now? <clears throat> we have Greek and Hebrew. Are we together? I want us to all be together. We have Greek and Hebrew. This Greek and Hebrew is inspired by God. Okay? God kept every yota, every dot. Nothing is lost there. And because of that, it's authentic and trustworthy. And we are to determine, resolve all disputes and controversies in church by these Greek and Hebrew words, the inspired words. However, not all of us have a knowledge of Hebrew and Greek. Therefore, translations must be made. Do you see the flow? So the complex sentence now is not so complex. It's, it's a logical flow from beginning to end. Okay? So, we need translations. And confession or not, I have four reasons for us why we need confessions. Why we need translations. Why the Bible has to be translated in English, in Igbo, in Yoruba, in Hausa, Ibibio, Efik, Tiv, Idoma. Why? Number one, so that we may know God's revealed will. Why do we need to have translations, number one? So we may know God's revealed with Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. We may have God's revealed will. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the classic text of some of us who argue on Facebook. But there's something I want us to see in this passage of scripture. Why the Bible has to be given to us in 
a language we understand. Why the Bible is translated. Verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 14. <clears throat> it says, now brother, if I come to you speaking in tongues, if I come to you speaking in Greek and Hebrew, okay? If I come to you speaking in something you don't know, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? So if the keyboardist, what the keyboardist is playing and the guitarist is playing sound the same, how can you know <coughs> what is played? Verse 8. And if the bogo, the bo- if you went to NYC camp, that thing that they used to wake everybody up, that's what they call a bogo. It's like a small t- trumpet. If the bogo gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Do you understand what Paul is saying? If, hey, okay, if you went to, if you went, none of us have been to camp. So there's a distinct sound you hear for wake up in the morning. There's a distinct sound you hear for it's time to eat. If they are going to fight a war, there's a distinct sound you hear. And every sound is different. If you're using a drum, it's different from the bubble. Verse 9. So with yourselves. If your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. Verse 11. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a, a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. Verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all. Verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So if we are speaking in a language that people don't know, if the will of God is coming to us in a language we don't all know, there is no way we can know what God requires of us. Are we together? That's what Paul is saying. So if somebody comes and doing robo robo shantatatatata, now the person is making a proclamation, but because we don't understand what he's saying, what he's saying is useless. So if the Bible is coming to us in Greek, if I come here this morning and I know Greek, this evening rather, and I know Greek and I teach in Greek or Latin, none of you will be helped. Because it's a language nobody understands. Which is why Paul uses this principle to tell the church in Corinth that when you are together and somebody has a tongue, the person should come out, give what he's saying, and there must be an interpretation. God's will needs to be known, hence the need for interpretation. Number two, so that God's word may dwell in us richly. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness thankfulness in your hearts to God. So when the word of God dwells in our heart richly, it dwells in our hearts richly by study, by meditation, by application of God's word. So God's word becomes a permanent part of our lives. But how is it possible if God's word is in a language that we don't understand? That's why the word of God has to come to us where we are, so that it can dwell in our hearts richly. Imagine somebody comes to faith and trusts in Christ because the, the word of God was preached to him in his language. I go on the streets, maybe I have, I have a good command of the Hausa language and I preach to this man or woman in Hausa and this person comes to faith and then I take the Bible and say, Oga, sorry, oh, there's no Hausa Bible. Take this English Bible and read. How will the word of God dwell in his heart? How can he read and understand the Bible? How can he apply the Bible? How can he grow? So translations are necessary, number one, because we, so that we may know God's revealed will and also so that God's word may dwell in us richly. Number three, so that we may be able to worship God acceptably. So in John chapter 4 verse 23, Jesus tells us that God is seeking worshippers who worship in, in spirit and truth. Now how are we to know how God ought to be worshipped if we don't have his word? So let me go back to my house, our friend. So I preach to this house, our man or woman. And this person goes and preaches to his family because he understands the basic of the gospel. And all of them get saved. And now there's no church. So they start a church. And when they come in the morning, somebody starts by maybe singing. And they do special number, special number, special number. And then they pray and say, ah, we are finished on this service. And we go. 
How do we know how to worship God and what the worship of God should entail? Because we have been giving God's word. Look at the Old Testament. We have a lot of examples. The golden calf that the Israelites built, it was against specifications of what God said, how God said worship should be done. In fact, in Exodus chapter 20, when God was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, God made it clear how he should be worshipped. Why don't we have a statue of Jesus here and a statue of Mary here and a statue of the cross at my back and maybe something here? Because based on what God has given to us in the Bible, we can read in our own understandable language. We know how to worship God. So we are not like Uzziah that went into the temple to offer sacrifice by force. Who was not a properly ordained Levitical priest. We are not like Nadab and Abihu who went to offer uh, what was it called? A strange fire before God. We are not like Saul. You know, one time Saul was waiting for Samuel. And he said, Samuel is not called. Samuel said, Give me seven days. On the seventh day, Saul grew impatient. And he said, Come, give me less sacrifice. And after that, Samuel came. And Samuel asked him, Who gave you the right? Who told you you could do this? So God's people may worship him. That's why we have the word. And lastly, that we have hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. The scriptures are written to give us encouragement and comfort so that we can have hope. As we are Christians here, living a Christian life, struggling, fighting the flesh, honoring God, fighting temptation, enjoying trials, the scriptures give us hope. So, this is how we can trace the Bible from original recipients, original writers, and original audience in Greek and Hebrew to us now to be the Trinity Baptist Church. The word of God has been preserved for us by God Himself. Three things before we go. Before we ask one or two questions. You know, we can settle all matters of faith and practice with the scriptures. Because controversies will always come in the life of the church. Whether the church, in terms of the global church or even the local church, how do we how do we deal with controversies? Isaiah says, the teaching the testament to the Bible. The Bible says, this is what the Bible says in Genesis. When somebody comes and tells us that evolution is a theory, and says, no, 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 no. Come back to the Bible. And God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh. When somebody says, there's only for us to worship on Sunday, we don't have to have a revelation. We don't have to go and see a dream. I say you are asking me a question, you want to get married, then you go and dream for you. Because people do they pay people to dream for them and bring for them answers. Or there's a controversy and somebody says something wrong. I say, you know, this guy's an apostle. Let me go and ask God. I've heard the word that you can put on the second place. Okay. You can take two. You can put on the third. And so there is a controversy. And somebody says, all those small, small boys on Facebook, what talking about about the apostles? I'm going to ask God. And God says, all these people are not his children. And then the church plans out. Yay! Papa has given us a word. And then people can say, you know, if you're a fool, because if, if you have God, you know what that, that what Apostle Selman said is something given to you by God. You can't understand it by the human man. No. What said the scripture on every matter, regardless of who is speaking, Regardless of what platform that person has, forget even big men of God, even amongst us. If you come to me for counsel and I tell you that based on what's happening to my, my spiritual father, eh, he fasted for three days and he went to a place and he prayed naked, or he went to bathe in a particular river, you should abandon that advice. Even amongst us, eh? what does the Bible say? Second, you see, you can thank God for these scriptures. That over thousands of years, God has preserved it for us. You know how we should see the scripture? We should see the scripture as something precious. It's not like, uh, let me give an example. The Bible is not to be like baby that you can see everywhere and you can just plug baby where people can sell it. The Bible is like precious pearls that a man cannot see on the streets of Abuja. So God puts his care, his attention, Providence towards the scriptures to preserve it for us. And so, what we have in mind, we take it, we treat it like gold, which is like something precious. So, before we read a Facebook post, we want to ask this Bible is food for my soul. 
Before you make call to meet with people to hear the word of God being preached or taught, this Bible is full from us. God has taken his time, his energy, his power to preserve the Bible for us. And we can thank God for faithful translations. Because there are very bad translations out there. And because all of us do not know who we are people, we need men who will be that people, trustworthy men, biblical men, spirit filled men. To get the Bible from Peter into our languages. And we thank God for that. For the missionaries who took time to translate the Bible into our language, our languages, so that our village, most of our grandfathers and great grandfathers, came to faith as a result of the labors of those men. Let's thank God for those, those men. So we have no excuse. This Bible is authentic, that we preserved, and God has made that baby for us. Go on. Cherish it. Eat it up. If your Bible is still clean, no God cares nothing. Ah, God. The pastor said he went one time to the Bible. I remember that or something. The guy brought out the Bible and he has to prove it. No. No. That should not be your Bible. That should not be your Bible. I saw a video one time, sometime last year, somebody posted a man who was on the street selling provision. And as that was selling to Bishop Lucasson, I was using his That's how precious it is to them. Because they're not customers. Instead of going to the next door and start gossiping about the other person at the bar, or talking about things that don't profit us, every available time, I read Joe once. Who did you Joe to? We have questions. We have questions. We have questions. But Daniel, how do you have questions? But Daniel, go in Mark 2. After this, we have no more questions. Go Daniel, go Emmanuel. Go Daniel, first of all. No, you raise up your hand first. Okay, fine. The reason why I think the Jews did the only is that these leaders and the Jews went to the Bible's what about those who say the Bible is the only inspired Bible? Remind of your question. Of 
So if you are translating anything from language A to language B, you always have a historical distance. And because of this historical distance, you are going to think about how they are going to translate. And there are three basic ways to translate A to B. The first is what you call a, a literal translation. You know what literal means? A here will be translated to A here as much as possible. But not the problem. Because these two languages, there is historical distance, time has passed, and rules are different. That if you translate A from A to B from B, it will come from A. Do you understand? For example, I don't know if you use your language, that's something you say in your language. That if you translate it word for word in English, it doesn't mean anywhere. So the first rule is translate as much as possible, A for A, B for B, phrases like that, phrases like that. The second way to translate is to say, let me take the meaning of what everything is said here and translate it to English. For example, in Hebrew, I love you, if you deny. But those are, they are not clear, they are more like a, uh, a dynamic, dynamic translation. So you are trying to take meaning for meaning. Here you are doing word for word, meaning for meaning. And then when you come down, you have people who say, forget how this one is structured. Let's just get the idea. So you have message Bible. You have King James Bible, you have NIV, you have message Bible. Are we together? King James Bible is word for word. So, you see a lot of things being translated word for word from, from Hebrew to English, from Greek to English. The NIV wants to take the meaning more for you. So let's take it back again. In the KJV, you see words like talent, effort, bath, woman, feet. Does it make any sense to you? As a person here. But they are doing word for word. So the Greek word talentos is translated as talent, word for word. The NIV will come down and some translation, you see dollar, you see meter, you see centimeter, and then these guys will come and do whatever they want to do. The message Bible. Now, because of because of philosophy using translation, eh, you can use a good first level and a good second level. There's no way in the Bible that you're told that the King James Bible is inspired Bible. Remember this, we're trying to translate from a language where this is again. To a language you don't understand. So that even the King James people, after a while, they got out with the King James. Because they knew that, okay, people don't rather speak in that way as well. And even though we are doing literal translation, language has evolved. Let me give an example. If I tell Franklin that I want the lamp to speak, do you know what the lamp is? Have you seen a lamp before? Have you used a lamp before? Yeah, you are a feeling man. Then someone who is good wrong in South City Estate and is 10 years old. So you see, how do I get lamb? Or when the Bible talks about the holy kiss. So these guys up here will translate lamb, holy kiss, ever. Yeah, so I say handshake. Okay? So if you're using a translation, try to use a good first level translation and a good second level translation. And you are not disobeying God. So what I'm saying is find a translation like maybe the ESV, the King James, the uh, what the other one? The RSV, that's the Revised Standard Version, the NASB, they are very neutral, word for word. And then try to be a, an NIV and use. So you want to tell that person that, number one, there's the issue of how we are translating. Everybody is translating differently. And because of that, you can do different from others. Okay? Now, another reason the person might tell you is that, and it's true. Now, most of these versions here, I wish I had a black one. Most of these versions here were translated by individual people who just stood up and said they wanted to translate. How many of you have heard of this new translation called the Passion Translation? Some of you know. But if you are very concerned with Bible translations, we have a translation that came out called the Passion Translation. And that guy is just the one who works. He's, he's part of the new apostolic reformation. So, people, this hyper charismatic and translated the Bible. So many conservative Bible apps have removed it because it's not faithful to the Bible. Right from the first version was, was a joint effort of 70, 70 scholars out of 72 who took time to now text and translated it. So some of those issues are right, but it doesn't mean the King James is not inspired. Bottom line, the King James is using a translation philosophy, the 
NIV is using a traditional philosophy, and both the King James and the NIV can be used. So it tells us the person that the whole part in the scriptures that says that this is what it is. King James is what it is because, first and foremost, there's a translation philosophy in use. Secondly, the time in which it was translated, that was the language of the if I give you a news Bible, just in very particular, and I give it to a daughter, whose education is probably more watered down than the education some of us receive, it will be difficult for to understand. So we want to look for something that's modern and yet is faithful to the original Hebrew and Greek, which is why we use the ESV as a church. There's nothing special in the book. King James was also written in the poetic style for a reason. That's why it's easy to post the King James Bible. Now, I'm not saying the King James Bible is bad. Men I respect, Joe Vicky still preaches for the cross. Joe Vicky does not care, he preaches thou thee. Many people still preach for the cross today. So, it's not a bad translation, but someone who is saying it's inspired, that one is clear. So, your reminder, you said, match up that system. Now, in translating from Greek to Hebrew, Working with manuscripts. Okay? Now, imagine you discovered a manuscript yesterday. Okay? And you already translated last week from the manuscript you had. But when you discovered the manuscript yesterday, which was older than the one you discovered last week, does that make any sense? Let me use a practical example. I gave you this Bible last week. Okay? And I leave my notes in the fire. And what you that is going by based on my notes. Then yesterday I came to you and said, Ah, Ima, in my Bible there, I have an older Bible, but I just discovered it. Take and read from the notes of Jehovah. Now, you got my own notes first before you got your own notes. But which one is older? Your own notes first. Are we together? Do you understand what I'm saying? So all that translations are better, all that manuscripts rather are better. And this is a very complex story. And we cannot deal with this But certain translators, having sat down to investigate the manuscript they had, found that some older manuscripts do not contain certain words, certain verses, and they say it's as a result of copies error. So remember I told you the original is but as people are copying. Franklin and Dora are copying something different for what Paul wrote, what he wrote in the book. But that's the that we must talk about that. But Mark 16 is part of the Bible. So, those parts that are being contested, remember, let me say to those parts that are being contested do not, as a matter of fact, affect the whole. So, the parts that are being argued about, Mark 16, 1 John 5 17, uh, Acts, Paul with the eunuch, not Paul, Philip with the eunuch, and some parts they don't affect the entirety of the Bible. They don't affect doctrine, they don't affect faith, they don't affect life, they don't affect our practice as believers. So I think we can clear that. Is it on the same thing? What can we say about pigeon translation? Pigeon translation is actually good. Because pigeon translation can be Done. Remember, it depends on what you are translating that. Now, there are these people called Street Church. They are not even translating according to these things, as I said. They are translating according to cultural phrases and slangs. I'm not doing that, but they are too dealt with that and Instagram. So, what they are translating, they are not trying to say word for word. They are not even trying to say meaning for meaning. They are not even trying to paraphrase, maybe because of the language it's hard. They are saying what they want to say. So, for example, um, they translated one passage, man's not horse. They translated another passage, um, oh guys are bothered. So, anything that is popular in culture, what is the most popular thing now? Something good. All those things, something good, all of those cultural phrases they are translating, and that is wrong. They are not actually translating the Bible, they are just giving their own interpretation. But there's actually a pigeon Bible that somebody took that, some people took that to translate. I don't know if it's a good fashion, but it's actually a pigeon Bible for those white boys that they use to preach and teach. So the Bible can be translated into any language. 
as long as the language is written, is the language that written. So what the missionaries did when they came to places was they left their language, and sometimes they helped people teach their language into written form. I don't understand. So many cultures were speaking, but they didn't have a system of writing. So when the missionaries came, they helped some of them develop a letter and alphabet system. They helped them develop a way of reading and writing, and they taught them and translated the Bible into their own language. So no language is not less. Pidgin is not a less language, it's not a lesser than what you say now. There's no language that is strange from that. That's why even when I was teaching, I said, look at you. The scriptures were translated into because of certain reasons. The Bible does not tell you that no language is at home. Okay, let's pray. Our Father, we ask that as you take this word to another, that you apply it to our own hearts, give us understanding, and even in our own lives, give us a hunger for your word. Help us to trust your word more and more. Help us to the desires to settle all matters of our lives, all disputes, all controversies, all confusions even in our decision making, or whether we are looking for a spouse, or whether we are planning to start a business. Whether we are cautious trying to make decisions, help us to constantly return to your word and then you grant us blessing as we stay within your word. As we depart, Lord, this is of the written blessings. The next time we meet, we have to make us all testify, make us all be in awe of your goodness and your blessings to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.